As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growling, Paul Andrew Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Excited to be back with you as we uh, roll through January. Uh, well, we're a day late. Hopefully not dollar short. We're a day late uh, because life life happens, man. Life gets in the way. We're all, we're all just grinding through a pandemic, trying to make things happen. But we're still here for you. A lot to get to. A jam-packed episode. How are we doing, Jay? Doing well. It's January. It's it, it feels like it's burrowary right now. Oh, oh! Don't worry. We're gonna talk <laughs> sweatpants and shorts. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's kind of it was it was kind of a, a little bit of burrow week uh, yeah. since we last talked. Where we had multiple uh, first appearances. He sort of he basically resurfaced, reintroduced himself to the world this week uh, as he showed up on Colin Cowherd's show last week and made a appearance on a national championship broadcast and then after that we're not bitter about it at all that we were third but uh <laughs> <laughs> after that met with uh the local media here and we had a uh, sit down with him on tuesday so we're gonna have a lot of talk about joe burrow and things he said and and kind of what all that means his recovery where the rehab is at and most importantly why he's still pro sweatpants and wants to make sure you know that that's why I love that guy. <laughs> I thought that was a great answer that he had. Yeah, it, made, I mean, it totally made sense. It did. I, I, I'm on board. I'm, I'm on board with it. I'm just glad he defended the sweatpant uh, as someone wearing them right now and pretty much every day uh, anymore. <laughs> um, so we'll get into that stuff. Uh, talk about the hiring of Frank Pollock and everything going on with the offensive line right now. Joe Mixon's hooting and hollering. A lot to talk about with that. Um we're going to talk a little bit about some some what's going on in the playoffs and through the Bengals lens because I think there are some interesting thoughts in who's there, why they're there, and what it means both through droughts, roster building, and how the Bengals should approach this offseason in, um, in a lot of different ways, uh, and including one team that lost, the Steelers, and the disaster. Ed Bouchette, our guy. Why I love, you know, the athletic and and working here, and I know this sounds sales pitchy, but it's true. Like, is 
you just get so much true inside look at any team. You know, it really is. And, you know, our Pittsburgh people have been writing this for a while. And the, the lazy Ed Bouchette has a thing that Ben Roethlisberger should retire because if he wants to go out on top, it ain't happening with this team. And he, he goes into insane detail on where they're at, how they're viewing it, and what a mess Pittsburgh is in. Um, it's a great story up on the set right now. I want to talk a little bit about that. I think I might have a good run passer boot on that. Jay, of course, will have great stats. Um, that I don't I don't know. I actually don't know your results of your stats, so I don't know if they'll make you sad or maybe make you happy. Um, I don't I don't think they'll do either. I think they it's just it's a piggyback on on the, the your overly researched stats and stat and twib. And I just I wanted to know, so I looked it up. And I, I it's not anything that's gonna drop your jaw, but it is interesting. Okay. Uh, and then Twitter questions, we will get to those, which uh, have some draft-related stuff. So, all right, let's open with Frank Pollock. Jay, you were all over this last week, um, just killing it uh, on what was going on with the offensive line search. Take, take me through how this all went down and your biggest takeaways from the hire and the reaction as you kind of uh, you know covered that last week. Well, they, I mean, that was priority number one was getting – they've got multiple assistant spots to fill. They wanted to do the O-line coach first. That was the most important, which makes sense. Um, they they did interviews on Thursday and Friday, and the, the goal was to not let Frank leave the building. Um, to, to, they wanted to hire him um, before he was able to fly back home. Um, that didn't work out that way. They, they ended up – interviewing three guys, um, Hank Fraley from the Lions, and then Phil Rauscher, the assistant line coach with the Vikings. Uh, those were the three they interviewed. They they sent them on their way, and then they spent time going over those interviews and making sure everybody was in agreement, and they, they came to the decision that they thought they would, that Frank was the guy. They offered him the job Saturday. He accepted and then they sent out the release Saturday night. Ruined all of our Saturday nights. At 5.30. <laughs> what the on heck? On a Saturday. The first Saturday of the offseason, Jay. <laughs> I'm, I'm driving to a friend's house. I have to pull into a BW3 parking lot to call Billy Price. I had touched base with <laughs> Billy earlier in the week and told him that I thought that this was what was going to happen. And could I call him if they made it official? And he was well, he was excited just at the prospect that it could happen. And when it, it finally did, he was he, he texted back and said he was driving, but he said, I'm so hyped. Yes, I'll talk to you. Uh, so, uh, so after he got done running his errands and we both parked in separate parking lots and, uh, you know, we chatted and it, it's, you know, he talked about how they, they kept guys in the loop about, you know, he wasn't one of them. He's not a starter and he, he didn't expect that, but he talked to the guys, the Trey Hopkins and the Joe Mixons and those type of guys, um, that, that were kind of, in the loop on the process. And it just, the, the excitement, um, is no one's going to say, Oh, this is a bad hire, but this is, this is legitimate, genuine excitement for Frank Pollock, um, for the guys that worked with them two years ago. And it's, it, I think it's, it's, it's as much excitement of getting Frank and, you know, maybe I don't want to say ridding themselves of Jim Turner, but I, I don't, I don't think there was any, tears shed that the Bengals moved on from Jim Turner. Um, it's just, he just has that style that, you know, it, it, if you're winning, you can kind of put up with it, but 
that 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 military that marine background he has just that that in your face all the time it can wear on guys especially pro guys in college you got to put up with it um but pro guys it can wear on them i think it did wear on them uh, on top of all the losing and i just think everyone they would have been happy with any fresh start but but to get a guy like frank that they're familiar with that has proven success and experience in the league it's just it 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 feels like a of of really positive step in the right direction real yeah i i think we we've got to kind of unpack the jim turner aspect of this you know i you're right jay i mean i totally agree with you this was a fresh this is frank pollock being if if you removed everything right and and i'm kind of tired of people caring about who made the call you mentioned it i mean they get together let's all figure out where we stand on this and let's all go forward in, in lockstep together i don't like i just don't i just don't care i i don't i don't care if the front office was like man i think pollock right like look they all come together they all make these decisions together and you go forward with it and and Frank Pollock would have been on the top of almost anybody's list. You throw in the background he has here and familiarity he has here. This is a very unique place to coach. <laughs> you, you need to know, I mean, you need to know somebody that can thrive here and understands what they're getting themselves into and still signs up for it, okay? You don't want unhappy coaches. Have we not learned that? <laughs> so, let's so I think that's that is part of this. And I I think you know if you he should be at the top of any list because of all of those elements. And he's just a good coach anyway. I mean, he's he's got a proven track record. He's been around the league for for a while now as a as a offensive line coach and had a lot of success. But the you know, so you have that, and I think that's that's great. He seems like a good hire and, and a very snug fit for this organization and where they're at. Quality guy, familiarity, all those things you want. The fresh start aspect is is interesting. You know, I just think Jay, you you did the story at the Senior Bowl, sitting in the room with him, even with just these Senior Bowl guys, like, and the type of the type of coach he is, and we know we see it. We're not in the room with the the Bengals meetings. I mean, you saw it there. I mean, what 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 was your biggest? What did what did you take away from that experience of learning, even a really in depth of kind of what Turner can be on guys and that being guys, he doesn't, you know, he's not really responsible for. Uh, well, first of all, I did not sit in with Jim Turner, but I might as well have. I was, oh, in, that's right. I was, with in, the running <laughs> I was with Jamal Singleton in the running backs. I forgot and it was about basically that. a curtain separating the running back room from the offensive line room. And it was, I, I could hear the O line. I could hear Jim more than I could hear Jamal. Um, and it was, in, it, first of all, Jim Turner is hilarious. I mean, he had those guys. They they weren't. It wasn't like a comedy club where they were busting up laughing. I could hear the laughter, but you could just imagine the looks on their face. But it was. It was. It was very in your face. It was. It was very unfiltered, um, and and that was a. I, I don't know. I, it, a far more relaxed situation. I mean, he's just getting those guys ready to play one game, and then he'll never see him again or you know he might maybe end up with one of those guys on your roster um and so it was it was surprising how hard he was coaching those guys and they're you know they're he's he's going over what they had done in practice and he's kind of preparing them for the nfl too just in general terms and i, I the most important thing about this is not to not not to say that frank pollock is a polar opposite 
He's not a rah, rah, yay. I mean, he's an intense guy, too. And he's a get in your face guy. And he's he's going to coach these guys hard. It's just a, a different way of going about it. So I, I don't want people to misconstrue that, that they're, they're going from a, a rough Marine and Jim Turner to a, a warm and fluffy, soft guy like Frank Pollock. That's not him at all. He's you, you could tell on the Zoom, you could tell when we covered him a couple of years ago, he's got an intensity about him and he gets the most out of his linemen. Um, but the the thing too with what you said about you know how they arrived at this if if your wife wins the Powerball tonight are you going to ask her if she picked the numbers or if someone else picked the numbers or if she used auto pick <laughs> the main thing is you won and so that yeah that's what matters here is they got the guy they wanted it doesn't matter whose choice what it doesn't matter how the sausage was made they ended up where they wanted to be and now they get to move forward and they've got a bunch of players that are happy about the direction they're going. And it, you know, and the question we, Oh, well, if you, you know, did they, did they force this guy down his throat and force him to get rid of Jim and all that other stuff? I mean, honestly, even if they did, would you have a problem with that? I mean, they're, they're bringing a guy back who was six twenty five and one. Okay. They, they have let him make every decision that he's wanted to. Okay, I, I don't know how much leeway and how much how much trust and respect you need you 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 owe anybody. Um, you know, you, this is his team. They have given him the full ability to make these decisions and it to be his team and put this together. And I, I you know, if if it was pushed, nudged, suggested, told, I, we think this would be a good idea. So what? Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry if I just don't like really care about that. Like, you know, the the guy's a good the guy's a good offensive line coach. You know, he can work here. To me, that's stuff that matters. All right, let's stop here for a second and take a quick break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'll hop forward on what was going to be one of our Twitter questions for later because it fits in now. And it's from Tim Tim Carey. He said, why did Turner want to leave? I thought Taylor was his boy. Who's lining up to hire that guy? Uh, now, I, I've talked about this before. This was kind of a mutual thing between Zach and Jim that it was just, I think everybody agreed it wasn't working here and it was time to go. I, to answer this question, look, you know what the atmosphere was and how fans felt and the vitriol that existed around Jim Turner since day one here, since the very beginning. I mean, that he, they're not silent to that. They're very aware. And, and they're also aware of that stuff building up inside of the offensive line room and guys that maybe 
don't respond well to his style, continuing to not respond well to his style. And maybe some of the, I wouldn't call it stale because it's not stale, but how that just gets old and, and, a, and a fresh voice is what maybe some people need. They're all aware of that. And you wouldn't want to stick around in that if you if you are Jim Turner. You, you, you understand what that is. And I think that wears on you. Uh, and I think that was part of this too. I do think that was part of this. Yeah, and, and I mean, it, you're, Jim Turner is going to take all the heat for how bad the O line was this year, and for Burrow's injury and everything, the run game being bad. And he's saying, "Well, what did you give me to work with?" I mean, that's part of it too. He he might be looking at this and saying, "They're they're never gonna." Whether it's true or not, he, he might be thinking they're never going to make O line a priority. They're not giving me anything to work with. I'm going to go somewhere where they where they value the offensive line, where I'm I'm going to have guys that I can that I can coach the way I want to coach them, that where I can have more talent. So I, I just think all that kind of plays into it. Where it was just sometimes these things happen. I mean, you guys, everybody listening to this has been in a relationship where. It's not one person dumping the other one. It's just you both come to the realization that, hey, this isn't working. Let's go our separate ways. Was this a conscious uncoupling? Is that what you're saying? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that term, but I like that. I believe. I'm sure the Twitterati will, will check me on this. I think it was a Gwyneth Paltrow when she won of her divorces. I, that's where I remember it. Conscious okay. uncoupling. It was definitely a Hollywood situation. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure Twitter will inform me on that. Uh, on who who actually coined that, uh, but anyway, so th- I think that's a lot of where that stands. And um, look, let's bring in your t- conversation with Frank Pollock. Uh, you know, at the center, at the core of the most important project of the off season, and a big part of that project is going to be getting more out of the guys currently in the room. You can only spend so much money on offensive line, and when they have questions at all of them outside of probably left tackle. Uh, you know, that means some people that are here are going to have to take those jobs and play better. Um, and that's where Frank Pollock comes in, and particularly with his expertise with the run game. But anyway, here's – so he, Frank did a Zoom with a lot of the reporters, and Jay, you talked to him for a little bit after that um, one-on-one. So this is a little bit of that conversation. Here's Jay with Frank Pollock. The interview you had with Zach, was that the first time you had sat down and talked with him? Were there any conversations two years ago? Uh, no, that was the first time. What what impressed you about him and his vision? Well, I've heard nothing but great things about him. He's a great guy, good family man. Um, I, I like what he had to say where, he, where he's going with the offense. And obviously, he's the offensive line sitting in, being a part of that, and what he wanted to do from that standpoint, what he needed help with, and how that can be kind of the solution to some of those problems that he's trying to solve. Hmm. I mean, it's not unheard of, but it is kind of rare. How surprised are you that to, to be back at a place that you had coached previously? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I'm not, because like you mentioned, it isn't unheard of. I'd say it's more common than not. There's plenty of guys who've made second trips through organizations, you know. Uh, it's just the nature of our business. Um, so I'm not, I'm not really that surprised. It's not like, uh, we don't understand the nature of the business, what we all signed up for. So it's not like you leave. At least I don't 
on on friendly terms, you know, it's just it is what it is, you know. So it's a result oriented business and for whatever reason things don't always work out and you move around and I can mention on the call there's only thirty two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not, it's not that uncommon. I'm not surprised at all. People always talk about chemistry and camaraderie being so important on the offensive line. Um right. are are those are those relationships important in your mind? Have played together in the past, I would say is not a big deal, but you mentioned earlier about continuity and relationships and chemistry, that's huge. And and mm-hmm. and you need to develop that while, you know, day one, right from the get go. That's that's critical. I mean, there's no other position in all the sports, period, more critical to that than an offensive line. I mean you got five guys that must move and think as a one and that's the challenge, you know. So it's that is uh, that's paramount. So if does that help if they played book together before? Absolutely, you know. And part of that is having some relationship off the field. Does they need to be, you know, best buds? For, you know, run around together? No, not necessarily. But there's got to be some sort of genuine, genuine affection for each other and, and have some sort of bond. You know, and a lot of that's fortified through working together, hard work. You know, over the course of the off season and. And then through the season, so for sure, team chemistry among the offensive line is, is paramount, and those relationships—not uh, necessarily that they've played together in the past—but that does definitely uh, help and lend to that. Yeah, and because you um, you, you have the, the run game coordinator title now officially, um, knowing that that Joe is—I mean, not only that you'd worked for worked with him in the past and know how good he is, but knowing that he's he's under contract for three more years. Was, was that a, a big part of this? You know, I, you know, his contract status, and I never, I pay no attention to any of that stuff with guys like coach or anyone else on the team. I mean, my role is to coach the offensive line. I know there's some people that might be something they're, they look at to be honest with you. I really, I mean, I never gone down that road. I don't care. I mean, I'm happy for those guys. Mm-hmm. And then I don't really base anything off of that, where, where they're at contractually. I, mean, I know I'll be coaching them up this year. I'm, that's great that he's got three years. But just, just Joe himself, I mean, like you mentioned, he's a great player. And I definitely was excited to come back here and have him uh, still be here. I mean, he's he's a fundamental coach. He brings a lot of energy, a lot of juice. He's passionate. Uh, football is a game played by uh, passionate men, and he's definitely one of them. And uh, that's what I love about being around him. And and he's definitely a talent. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, having some uh, more success than we had last time I was here with him. He's a hell of a football player. Great to uh, hear from Frank. I really appreciated during the Zoom his answer about when you asked him about being a the run game coordinator. Yeah. He's like, uh, yeah, title. That's a nice title they gave me. It's not going to change the damn thing I do. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. And it's we've all... We have all had one of those jobs where they're like, you know, you ask for a raise and like, how about a title? I don't want a title. I know this title doesn't mean anything except it probably will give me more work. But I think uh, I I do think it is. I mean, you know, like you said, it's nice. Yeah. (laughs) That's the way we all feel about those things. I do think, though, there is a the the, the point to the title. And I do think that if you're going to read into it at all. Look, maybe the most under-discussed crappy part of the 2020 Bengals was their inefficiency in the run game with a healthy Joe Mixon, 
with Giovanni Bernard. And until that late breakout against that disastrous Texans defense, Samaj P. Ryan all were in the three points uh, of yards per carry. I mean, that is as much of a reason why they had to throw so much as anything. They couldn't get anything figured out in the run game. Whatever they thought they had figured out in 2019 didn't transfer over. They didn't use as much of it this this past year. And they need somebody who can get that going. And that is Frank Pollock's calling card is a and, run game. Yeah. And I think, you know, they're they're telling him he's he's got a a I don't know, loud, powerful, significant voice in hiring the running back coach. So I think that's part of it too, to to give him that title of run game coordinator. As he mentioned, you know, you if you're an offensive line coach, you're basically heavily involved uh, in the run game anyhow. But it uh, that I think that's part of what that title was too was was just giving him more ownership of it and, and giving him a say in who the running back coach is going to be, which I would assume we'll be be finding out shortly on that one. Yeah, uh, Frank Pollock, get the run game going. Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan, Dan Pitcher, Joe Burrow worked together to have a passing game that at times looked like fire in the middle of the season once they figured it out. Fix the line. And suddenly, you know, add in your th- a quality third receiver. Who knows? Maybe that's at number five. Maybe it's somewhere else. And suddenly, you feel like you have an offense that can be top five, top ten in the NFL. You know? And we'll get to what that can mean in, in a little bit. Um, and that because that because that here's the thing, and you know what? Screw it. Let's just talk about it now. We'll talk about Burrow in a second. He's part of this anyway. We've heard lots of discussion about how they should prioritize this offseason, right? And it's like offense versus defense. They they have so many. They have a lot of holes, and they have some. They have money, but they have they have a lot of holes. Where are you going to really spend? Where are you going to focus your priority? And the the discussion of 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 filling the defense. Look. It's not how today's football works. Like get, you are, you are much closer to have a great offense. You you need to have an elite unit, right? You need to have either elite offense or elite defense, and the elite offense has a much better chance of taking you farther than the elite defense. Absolutely. That's just a fact. Okay, and you look at it in TWIB, I outlined the adjusted net yards per attempt. You can use EPA if you prefer. There's a number of metrics that are very much correlative to winning. And you can look at all of that. The, the teams that are playing this weekend and the teams that will advance to the Super Bowl have a quarterback whose efficiency, not yards, not chucks at a bunch, efficiency, yards per attempt, doesn't make mistakes, are the teams that win and the teams that play at the end. They have been for years in this NFL, the last five years. The NFL is created now. It's basically seven-on-seven seven football. That's where those teams excel, the ones that advance. You can have that. You've got the quarterback, and you've just got to fix the line. Frank Pollock can come in and get your running game going, and you've got all these quarterback gurus to have the passing game going, and you can have that. You're close to having that. That enough. Put everything else towards fixing the defense. Picks, your bargain, free agents, all that stuff. Getting that elite passing game makes you relevant, makes you a playoff 
I don't know if I'm going to say contender, but you're in the mix. You're in the conference. You can put yourself in that mix immediately with the Burrow step by giving him the pieces he needs. And it's right at your fingertips. It has to start there. Talks of, of putting a ton of money into the defense and caring all about the defense is ridiculous. It has to start on the offense because you're closest there and you need to have an elite unit somewhere and you've got the quarterback built around him. Yeah, it's kind of to use the baseball analogy. You can have the greatest offense in the world. This is it's kind of a, a reverse analogy, but you you have a great pitcher that can shut down a great offense. And in football, it's the same way. A, a really good offense is going to find a way. I don't care how good your defense is. A really good offense. The the game is just tailored. The rules, everything is tailored to offense right now. And if you if you have if you're elite on that side of the ball, it doesn't matter. And actually, we're It'd be interesting to see you go back and look how many times I think we're going to have this story up uh, on the athletic here pretty soon. All the times the number one offenses face the number one defenses. And if if you're going back to the 80s and 70s then yeah, the defense probably won those. There was a reason that that phrase was coined. The defense defense wins championships. That's not the case anymore. The, the more recent meetings between number one offenses, and number one defenses, the offenses win those games. And that that's the way to go. You look at the pieces they have. They don't have to be. We keep saying this. They don't have to be great on defense. You just be be mediocre. Be 15th, 16th, 14th in the league. You'll go far with the offense that they've put together if you fix the line. Totally true. I'll run through some of these numbers that I had up in TWIB. And if you look at teams since 2016, teams that finished uh, in the top in adjusted net yards per attempt, which is your premium efficiency, takes yards per attempt, adds in sacks, interceptions, and touchdowns, weights those. Um, that finished in the top. This past year, six of the top seven made the playoffs, only Deshaun Watson and that <laughs> Bengals fan saw that ridiculous Texans defense and everything else that was bad around him. Watson carrying a team solo, supermanning. See how long he's still there trying to do that. Six of seven this year. Last year, five of six. 2018, six of seven. 2017, five of the top six. 2016, five of the top seven. If you finish up there in efficient passing game, you're in the playoffs. You're in the playoffs. That, that's not bringing anything else into consideration. Just the efficiency of your quarterback. You're in the playoffs. And if you have the possibility to do that, you have to go and sell out for it. Figure out the rest later. That's all I'm saying. Jay, you have stats on this, too. Because you were talking about how uh, you you wanted to take a deeper look into how Burrow did. Now Burrow's year is interesting. You know, you get the injury in week eleven. You get the first few weeks where he had no no off season or whatever, and then clearly once he started to figure things out, he kind of hit his level a little bit around week four. Where okay, he had enough games, enough experiences. You started to see the real Joe Burrow. So his numbers are maybe a little lower. Uh, than what you would anticipate, you know, what his level probably would have been in a normal year compared to others. But you looked into the past and kind of looked at uh, Burrow on the adjusted net yards per attempt scale. Yeah, the the slow start and then the the Pittsburgh game, the Baltimore game, those really hurt his numbers. Um, but you got me thinking about this with with the stat you had, you just mentioned that you had in TWIB, and so so through ten games, Burrow. Well, really, it was nine and a half. Burrow got hurt early in the third quarter of that of that uh the 10th game um his adjusted 
yards per attempt were 6.74, and that ranked 26th in the league at the time, which was a lot lower than I thought. I, I, you know, you, it seems like, hey, he's got this thing going. But as you mentioned, the slow start and then the, the Pittsburgh and Baltimore games really kind of hurt that number. So I started thinking, well, what, I wonder what Andy Dalton was his rookie year. And I wonder what Carson Palmer was his not his rookie year because he, he didn't play his rookie year, but his first year as a starter. Yeah, 2004. Um, Burrow, 6.74, 26th in the league. Andy Dalton. 6.23, 25th in the league, almost identical. And then Palmer, again, this was a different game in 2004, uh, 5.66, 28th in the league. So there's, it's just hard for rookies. Um, there, there are rookies that have come in and just lit the, the world on fire. And Justin so Herbert. What, yes, he's up there. This, I went and looked at what the, um, at adjusted net yards or yards per attempt are for all rookies going back to Matthew Stafford's rookie year. So basically the last 12, 13 seasons. Um, and this is for their first 10 game, first 10 starts in the NFL. So it could be guys that maybe didn't get a start uh, in, until later because of, uh, you know, a Carson Palmer type of situation or a guy that started three games, then got hurt, and then came back and finished the year. So when you look at the just the first 10 starts, Burrow is 17th on that list. Um, you look out at of the, how many? Out of – there are 49. I, I cut it off at uh, 100 pass attempts through 10 games, which is really pretty, pretty Much low. Much everybody, I would think. Yeah, everybody had that. So th- this is 49 quarterbacks, and Burrow is 17th on that list. Um, the number one, Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott, Robert Griffin, who was Rookie of the Year, uh, then Tyrod Taylor, surprisingly, and Justin Herbert, fifth on that list, um, seven point seven point eight six. That's he's he's up there. Um, and then you got weird, you got ones that you wouldn't expect that are better than Burrow: Nick Mullins, Trevor Simeon. Gardner Ooh. Minshew, Brock Osweiler, Jacoby Brissett. So, but then you've got the guys right around Burrow, Cam Newton's, Andrew Luck. Burrow's better than Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck was 21st on this list. Uh, Carson Wentz, 23rd. So, there, it, it's there. You, you get some more pieces around him. You, you get the, the line short up, and he, he can be right up there at that top of the league that you were talking about where – those are the teams that advance in the playoffs. And I also think uh, something to come out of that is I think you really start to learn who guys are their second time through the league. Right. You know, I think, you know, you, you see these guys kind of spread across. There's going to be your freaks, your, your Mahomeses that just splash on the scene. But I think guys really come to start and find their level. You'll see that consistently. And, there's you know, you, know, you see it over and over again. Your second run through the league. Now, granted, Burrow won't get an offseason or a preseason again, uh, and he'll just be jumped right in, so maybe he's thrown off even more. Uh, but you know, really, your second run through the league to really have a feel for how things go and go out there and do it, I think, is where you really start to learn a little bit more of who these guys are. So let's talk about Burrow, who had his sort of uh, reemergence this past week. Um we we learned a little bit about where he's at in his rehab. Um, let me do, let me do this. 
let's uh I just I, I chunked out about a four minute piece of his Zoom call with reporters, which went for what was he about twenty minutes? It was about twenty, yeah. Yeah. Twenty minutes with Burrow that we had uh or on Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon ish, eleven actually eleven AM. And then um Listen to that. It's kind of a lot of the main points that you would talk about, offensive line stuff, where he's at with his rehab, uh, stuff working on. And then we're going to talk a little bit about everything we heard from Burrow this week. So here was uh, some of the, a portion, a small portion of the Zoom call with Joe Burrow. What's your confidence level like in the offensive line right now? And do you have conversations with coaches about things you'd like to see as far as additions up front and things like that at all? No, I I think everyone was really excited when we hired Coach Pollock. Um, I don't know him personally. I haven't talked to him, but I know Joe was was really excited. He called me fired up, hollering and hooting and hollering, and you know was very excited. And I know Zach's excited about the hire. Um, so I think he'll he'll do a really good job with those guys and and have full faith in that. Is it so what do you like you about this? Is it important to you to see that to see new additions up front on the line this offseason though for you to, to know that they're working on getting better up there? No, that's that's not my decision. That's that's front office. I'm I'm just the quarterback. So, you know, what whoever we put out there, we're gonna make it work. So what do you like about this offense? And uh what do you what, what do you think uh makes it attractive for you and what, what do you think it has to do to take the next step? You know, I think they did a very good job of understanding what I do well um, and, and, and tailoring it to me early on. And, you know, I think I took steps later in the year that allowed us to open up the offense a little bit. But the next step is just hitting on those deep balls. And, it's, you know, we're so efficient in the short passing game that when, when we start hitting on those deep balls, it's going to be it's going to be tough to stop us. You said you want to get stronger. Do you, do you want to put on weight? Do you want to be a little heavier? And when do you think you can hit the underwater treadmill? You know, uh, that'll be around week 10 or 12. I'll start running um, about half my body weight. Um, and I don't, really, I don't really think about gaining weight as a, as a goal. I think about um, gaining muscle and getting stronger. Um, Staying lean is is big, so I can stay mobile. But um, getting stronger is is more so the the goal than gaining weight. I mean, week ten to twelve after surgery, right? Yes, after surgery. So it'll be six weeks from surgery on Wednesday. So we got about another six weeks till I can start running. Okay. Thank you, Joe. There was there's a lot of questions about the timetable on, on when you come back. You've obviously said that you know you think you're on track to start week one. You know, when, when folks were saying, you know, maybe he may not be able to come back for the for that season opener, did you kind of take that as a challenge? But like, all right, I'm going to definitely attack the rehab and, and kind of show people that I can do this uh, and be ready for week one. Yeah, absolutely. It was, you know, that's been the goal for me from the beginning. It's, they say it's a nine to 12 month um, recovery. And the first game is exactly nine months from my injury. So, you know, that's we're on pace to do it right now. There's obviously a long road ahead and there's opportunities for setbacks along the road. But um, as, as far as right now, it's, it's looking as good as it could for, for where I'm at in the rehab process. Joe, the fact that you keep yourself in the shape you keep yourself in and you're flexible, you're young, all those things that, that, that go along with it. 
Do you feel like, uh, I'm not saying rehab is going to be a breeze by any stretch of the imagination, but do you feel like, uh, you know, you're going to be like the best rehab patient that Bengals have ever seen? You're going to set right <laughs> in that area too? That's the goal in everything I do. I want to be the best. Um, you know, I'm past the worst part. The, the first two weeks, you know, you got to get your motion back. So they're tugging and pulling on it and it's pretty miserable. So I'm past all that. It's kind of, you know, all downhill from here. There's a lot of milestones to hit and a lot of a long road ahead, but you know, it's not going to be painful or, or anything like that. So the worst part is over and, and the fun part begins. If the league gets back to normal and there is a preseason, would, would you move up your goals or would you be comfortable jumping in there week one of the regular season, having already done that as a rookie? You know, I don't think I would be ready for, for the preseason. Um, I think I would, you know, get in practice and, and see how it feels and, and, and get confident through that. Not, not in the preseason. I think preseason is probably pushing it a little bit, but um, that, that week one goal is, is mine. All right. So there was Joe Burrow. Um, good to hear from him again. So he comes out, he does Colin Cowherd. Uh, he shows up on the national championship game broadcast. The Cowherd one was really the bit. I mean, it was his first interview he had done since going down in Washington. We hadn't heard from him. Nobody had, um, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's a corporation. He's, he's Burrow LLC. And he had his hoodie on his new hoodie from that business. You can buy those in Kenwood. I think you can buy those in Kenwood Townsend. Uh, by the way, but there were a lot of people asking about those. He had his, those new Bose earbuds in so you know he's got his he's got his product <laughs> i get it make make the coin uh and so that's he, and he's on colin cowherd and i thought he was great I, I wrote a little bit last week about the burrow effect and it's not that you know he's he's a kid talking about football he loves football it's not what he's saying necessarily it's the way he says it it's all be just fine in the smirk, mm-hmm. and uh, and the, you'll see. I'm gonna tear this league up. It, it just, it's just the way that the way he carries himself, and we have spent so much time, effort, energy, angst, hand wringing over the locker room. And have they lost the locker room? And is this coach? Can this coach do it? Can this coach rally the locker room and make them believe and? Churn out a winner. Look, the, the great, the great coaches, and we we've heard this. I'll go back to hearing about it when I went and covered the Rams in the Super Bowl when Zach Taylor was a quarterback coach, and he's tried to bring that culture here. You set the culture and let the players lead and police. You set the template and let the players run with it. It needs to be self, and that was something back in the Marvin day that Marvin did really well. Marvin Marvin set the board and let Andrew Whitworth run it in the locker room. Let the player leadership council run it in the locker room. They self-policing, self-motivating, set the template and run it. Let the set it up so the players can do that. That's part of really a kind of a base foundation of what this is. Guess what, people? Joe Burrow moves the locker room already. He's the one that makes people believe. He's the one that makes people say, you know what? This kid can do it, and I love it. And I'm on board with what this kid is saying and his style, and I think he's a leader. I think he's my leader, and I think we're going to win a lot of games with him because I love the way he's going about it. That is what 
keeps the locker room together. Burrow says, hey, I love Zach Taylor, and I believe in what we're doing here. People moved to that, and people were on board with you because I believe Joe Burrow, and I believe that he can do it for us. That is – everything else kind of falls into place a little bit. It really does. And, that, and I think that is the biggest thing that comes – with the Joe Burrow effect, the on-field stuff, yeah, we know, you know, we can talk a lot about that. He's he's a good player, all this stuff. That that stuff is what can really be what's driving so much of what the conversation has been around this team lately. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Whitworth. That's one of the big things that has been missing since he left was that that locker room presence, and you you have a guy in Joe that can do that. And it's amazing that we're we're sitting here stating it as fact when. Nobody was in that locker room this year. It's just that obvious that these guys follow him and believe him. We don't have to see it with our own eyes. You can you can tell from talking to coaches and talking to players that that he has that presence in that locker room, and what that just filters everything else down. Like you know, you've got a guy Joe Mixon who is energetic and and he's getting older. He can start moving into that leadership role. He doesn't have to be the number one guy. But he runs that running back room, and, and he can be a voice in that locker room. And Tyler Boyd runs that wide receiver room. They don't have to be the leader on the team, but having a presence like Joe just kind of it takes a lot of the pressure off the other guys' plates to to just focus on their position groups. And it it, it was it was Andy was a leader, but he and, and AJ was a leader, but they weren't those kind of guys. They weren't the they just didn't have that dynamic about them that Whitworth had, that, that Joe Burrow has, and it's something that has really been lacking. And and to, I, I I think you saw that when when he went down, the, the, how crushed everybody was and how they fell apart that 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 second half of that game. Um, that is a, a big deal, and and it it means something. I'm sure to those guys. To I'm sure a lot of them were texting with him, and he was giving them updates. But to see him come out in a public forum, and w- like you said, the the knowing smirk and just that confidence, I think it lets everybody just settle down and know that things are going to be all right moving into 2021. He's a calming force. Yes, he's a calming force and a natural leader, and that's only going to come out more as he takes more and more ownership uh, over the franchise and the lo- and locker room himself as he comes back in his own second year. And I just think that's apparent, and I do think people rally around that, um, and that's a big deal for where they're at right now in trying to win. Uh, other things, you know, that maybe stood out in the borough. I mean, the l- 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 rehab timeline. You know, I think it's kind of what. It's it's where you want it to be, and I think the confidence in the timeline where it's at, where he's ahead of schedule, all signs point to the open. He is laser focused on that opener. Jay, I thought that was a great question you asked him uh, about the preseason, and I hadn't honestly thought much about it. Um, but you're right. You know, he could have the opportunity to go out there potentially if he's practicing in camp. And play into and no, 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 no preseason. <laughs> if I'm going to go out there early, if he's maybe 90% or 95%, he's not going to do it in the preseason. He's going to do it in a controlled environment of practice and laser focus on week one. Week one, that's what it's about. It's about playing 16 games next year. And he's like, you know what? It's, it would be exactly nine months to week one. And that's what I plan on doing. And that's what I'm on pace for. And really, the the more you you hear and talk to people around, it it feels because the heart, as he says, the hard part is done. 
you know, the the unknowns of the surgery, the the act, the, the pain of getting started and starting to rebuild the leg. You now enter the the more known part of the recovery, if you will. I mean, it now it's an ACL. We know where it's at. You see what's happening to it. It's an ACL, MCL, and you go through that process that we've seen so many people go through. It's not complicated now because of the gruesomeness, whatever. It came out fine, and you're at you're at this point that people are at, and now you just go through the recovery process, and, and there's a lot of obstacles, but there's no reason to believe that it won't continue to follow the same path that he's on. And people talk about how trying and taxing and mundane rehab can be. And I think Joe's aware of that, but he, I mean, everything is a competition to that guy. And he's, he's, I don't think you have to worry about him struggling through the monotony of rehab. He's going to go after every session and, and attack it and, and, and try to win. And that's why I was wondering about the preseason because I, you know, if, the the timeline was yes he could be back for the opener well what he's ahead of schedule so does that mean he could play in the preseason and the point of that would be so many times when these guys have ACLs is is the trust if you're a running back you can cut and plant and practice and and start to feel good about your knee with a quarterback you don't you you don't get anything close to to real simulation in practice not only are they not allowed to touch you, they're they can't even get close. So you you you're not going to have bodies down around your your legs when you're trying to step into throws. And I just thought maybe he would want to to at least have a series or two in the preseason just to kind of get back to the the live bullets thing, just to just for ment- to mentally feel okay about traffic around him, around his legs, around that knee. But yeah, he said. No, he's he's ready to go in, in the in the opener, or he wants to be ready to go in the opener. Um, I, it, you never doubt anybody in rehab, but you especially don't doubt Joe Burrow. If the doctors say he can be back, there's no reason to think he won't be. But just the way he attacks everything, good crew around him in rehab too. You know, C.J. Uzama, Trey Hopkins. I mean, real core leadership guys of this team. Uh, upbeat, fun, interesting guys. Um, on top of it that I think will, you know, keep, I, I, I go back to, I remember when, and I'd like to actually revisit this with Gio, Giovanni Bernard. Um, and I remember him talking about how he really, even though they had been on the same team together and played offense together, he really developed a really close friendship with Tyler Eifert over the year of his ACL rehab because they're there every day together. And, you know, while they had, it's, it's like any workplace, right? Like you, 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 people that you work with, you know, them, you have relationships with them and all that, but then you work on a project with them for like six months mm. and, and that, and then you realize you guys are really good friends and super tight. And, you know, you can, when you have a good group of guys that are all going to be in there together and, and that are very interesting, outgoing, I mean, I think there's, that helps. And I think that really will help. Burrow as well because you can't ask for, if you're talking like honestly if you made me pick two to three guys that you would want to have to go through every single day with uh doing tough rehab stuff man I I think I would start with Trey and CJ like literally I, I if I was really picking I mean just outgoing interesting fun and so I, I think that I do think that kind of stood out to me too as something um as far as you know another reason that you you like where Burroughs at 
Yeah, you had that story. Um, was it last year too? The, the um, Brian Glasgow and Carl Lawson yeah. going the yeah. bacon eggs and ACLs were yeah the, yeah. the, the, the how tight bacon those and g- legs. I ba- ended that's up right, with. bacon and legs. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it, it does, it, it is a, a big deal. You're spending a lot of time with those guys and it, 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 not just for personal reasons, but for team reasons, it, it has benefits and you're right. I, I, it, it may be I, not that I would wish injury on Gio, but he would be another great one to have in that. Like you said, the way he developed with Tyler, um, it would be really interesting to, to bug that rehab room and listen to those conversations between CJ and and Trey and Joe because it's it's going to go way beyond football. It's it's those are all really interesting guys. Yeah. Uh, so he now enters the Bengals portion of the program. He arrived Sunday. He spent after the after the surgery. He spent time in California with his rehab. He didn't not flying on it. Comes back Sunday, lands ends up watching the uh, Brown Steelers with uh, Bengals coaches. I think I think he said it was Zach Taylor, probably Brian. Sounded like Brian Callahan and Dan Pitcher. I don't know who yeah. else was there. Um, and uh, what was was asked if he had any Rudy interested in that, and pointed out, uh, yeah, we have teams that we like and don't like. <laughs> we know we know what that means. Um, and so, yeah, I thought that was kind of a cool anecdote. But he's back now and in the Bengals portion of the program, uh, and that means Paul Sparling, Nick Cosgrave, director of rehab, are kind of at the wheel now. Obviously, every you know everybody has their hands on this situation uh, in some capacity, including outsiders, those who have done the surgery, Dr. Neil Latrash, uh, and, and everybody else that's been connected to the borough thus far. But, you know, he enters this portion of the program, and there's a, a great track record there uh, with Nick Cosgray and, and Paul Sparling, who's been doing this for decades. Um, Nick, who's had a lot of success the last 15 years in Cincinnati, um, to kind of take take it there and 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 get it where it needs to go and he'll be here all off season staying here uh same with CJ and uh the they'll be here working on the rehab in Cincinnati and and getting back to where they need to get uh so Bengals social media gets him of course walking in to his first day back in Cincinnati on the rehab job the the the, the walk-in shot they show his car Nice car. What car did you car guy, Jay? I'm not. I I am my my daughter actually is. <laughs> I almost uh, I took a screenshot and I was going to send it to her and say what is this, but I, I didn't. Um, yeah, I, I I couldn't quite tell what that was, but it was a nice car. I know that. At least they didn't drop a shot of the back of it with a license plate number on it or something like that. I'm already <laughs> yeah. worried about people chasing down Joe Burrow uh, <laughs> since they now know exactly what kind of car he drives, and then uh, get him walking in wearing shorts. In 31 degree weather. Ah, I get it. So his answer essentially was, look, I got to put the, if I'm going to put, so I like sweatpants. If I'm going to put sweatpants on though, I'm going inside. I'm going to take them right off. I'm, you know, we got the knee, how much flex, how hard is it to take on pants, you know, put them off. I don't know. So he's, that's why I wear shorts everywhere. I can't wait to get back to wearing sweatpants again. I love sweatpants too. You want to make sure he's pro sweatpants, and I, I like that. The question is though, should I get? You start to hear a lot. We end up hearing a lot from wear shorts all the time, guy. We work with one. We do work with one. skinny. Yeah, summertime short pants. <laughs> <laughs> I I get it. I mean, look, hoodie and shorts. I've done it. I've 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 walked my dog in cold temperatures. Uh, where that's what I'm wearing, so I get it. But you know, I'm I'm okay with Burrow doing it. But I loved how it became sort of a a, a 
a big point of online fun for a couple <laughs> days there. I've done it as well. And I, I, I totally get what he's saying that, you know, if you're just going to take it off anyhow, why, why bother? And I'd say my wife gets on me a lot of times. I don't wear a coat and it's like, oh, we're, we're not parking in a stadium parking lot. You're going to park 20 yards from the front door. The car's heated. The place we're going's heated. Why do I need to wear a coat just to walk 20 yards in the cold? So I get, I totally get where he's coming from with the shorts. I enjoyed what I knew would happen. Twitter doctors. Yes. Twitter doc. Literally. Literally, literally like doctor, that Dr. Chow guy. <laughs> he's like, okay, we've got it. We've got a second and a half of slow-mo Joe Burrow footage walking while looking at his phone. I think mean, it was suggested he was firing up a PFF mock draft, <laughs> <laughs> drafting all the linemen. Uh, <laughs> and it, so if you literally get the doctors like, look, the knee flexion, you can sit, you can see the way he's walking. He's, he's got full extension. Not wincing. I mean, so it's so predictable. It's come on, people. It's a second and a half of slow mo video of a kid walking. Like, are we really? Are we going to make true diagnosis off this? Apparently, we are. Apparently yeah. We are. Everybody wants. Everybody. I mean, you you said it. The guy's a corporation. Everybody wants to know about Joe Burrow. And they will. Don't worry, especially <laughs> if you have a subscription to the Athletic. <laughs> we will not be shy uh, in Joe Burrow coverage. Let's take a quick break here real quick. I want to shift gears a little bit um, into what's happening in the playoffs right now. So, uh, Because I do think it's interesting through a Bengals lens. And... You know, we talked earlier about the types of teams, the makeup of teams, the the quarterbacks that are in there, the efficiency of passing games that are the teams that rise up now in today's NFL. It's just what it is. Um, also, we've seen some some long playoff droughts snapped. I don't know. I don't know how Bengals fans watch the Browns win, the Bills win and not reflect <laughs> and not just think like man it was 25 years for that 25 years you're 30 like you're basically the same thing it's it's this it these things happen all the time all the time now these are long droughts and there is substantial ownership issue at the root of why these things happen. However, in NFL, every single year, a team that hasn't won in forever wins. Whether it's a Super Bowl, whether it's a playoff game, whether it's whatever. Droughts across sports. Raptors, Cavs, you know, uh, Caps. You, you, you name it. You name it. Look at the last five years of champions. And it's nothing but long droughts. Right, this stuff happens every year. History that so much stuff that is at the core of Bengals fandom right now of just God, thirty freaking years in nineteen ninety one. Right, all of that stuff really, while it matters and there's relevance in the ownership group that's connected to that and everything else, it doesn't matter as far as chances of this group succeeding. This crap happens every year that teams come and break long droughts and start, you just get the right group together, you get the right mix going, 
and it happens. And I think I think that is something the Bengals fans should be paying attention to. That's been a consistent trend here for a while now. Yeah, it happens all the time. It just doesn't happen here. That's that's <laughs> that's why because it's not just the Bengals. It's the Reds have one of the longest droughts in in MLB. Uh, so I think that's that's part of it. Is just the the whole Cincinnati aspect. Go ahead. Even Cleveland, though, but even Cleveland, though, right. is having their run now, right? Like the Indians were in the World Series, the Cavs won, you know, yep. the Browns won their playoff game. Cleveland, I mean, Cleveland had the number one, right? Tortured sports city forever. And then that, you know, it just it evolves, you know? It's just who's going who's gonna to break the ice? Is, is it going to be FC Cincinnati? Is it going to be the Reds? Is it going to be the Bengals? That could be a good run, run past your boot. Who's, who's most poised to advance in the postseason of those three yeah who will, who will who will win a postseason series or game first yes oh go ahead i'll let you take that one well i mean i i guess what the reds are going to have the first shot just chronologically but I, I i would say the bengals probably of that group fc cincinnati is so far down the list I mean, there. I, mean, I don't know. I don't follow soccer enough to know how quickly things can turn around there. But it feels like that's being an expansion team. It's, it feels like that's a longer build. Um, but I, I would, I would run with the Bengals and pass on the Reds, even though the Reds were in the playoffs last year, couldn't find a way to score, and it, it just feels like it, it. It doesn't feel like that team is ascending. It feels like they're they're going back into another rebuild. We're already hearing about that. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing that, and we know Bauer's not going to come back. Maybe Sonny. I mean, you're, you're talking about, yeah, maybe trading Sonny, maybe trading Eugenio Suarez, and, like, you know, for it's like you're already, like, they sold out for a good two-week run, essentially, you know? Um, we'll see how it plays out, but I'm with you. I, I When you have Burrow, like, that that's, that's more hope than you have at FC Cincy or the Reds. You know, just that alone. That he could turn into the real guy next year, and uh, and and get you there, or in the next couple of years, and and get you an advancement. I'm with you. I think you run Bengals and you pass Reds and you boot FC Cincy, who I you know they just seem like to have no clue what's going on over there. <laughs> yeah. And they're at a top. <laughs> they're just starting from too far back. Right. Yeah. The, the, uh, I mean, the, so, the, the Bills and the Browns were number three and four on that list of longest droughts without a playoff win. Yes. Um, Bengals obviously number one at 30 years. Lions right behind them at 29 years. And then it starts Dolphins at 20, Raiders at 18, and then Washington at 15. And then everybody after that has done it in the last 10 years where they, they, they were on the 10-year mark. So the, the Bengals are basically three times as long as most of the teams in the league. Um, they've had eight chances to do it, haven't found a way. It, it, feels, it, it feels like the, the playoff win – is closer than the playoff loss. Like if I, I see whenever they get to the playoffs with Joe Burrow, it it, it doesn't feel like it's going to be another. And it's hard to say because you don't know what year it's going to be. You don't know who the opponent it's going to be. But it just feels like they're they're better poised now to to get past that first round than they ever were in the Andy Dalton era. And yet, and you know why? I mean, because what do we have for evidence on Joe Burrow? Right. Bigger the stage, better he plays. That's what's what we saw at LSU. Yeah, I mean, the the bigger the game, the bigger the stage, the the more his personality uh, and his, the way he carries himself, and that and people follow him, and he plays, and the confidence he plays with was was part was a big part of LSU uh, playing the way they did and winning their national title in 2019. Um, 
So that's that's certainly a part of this too. Um, so the, the other aspect that I want to talk about what's going on in the playoffs is the Steelers. I had a thing in Twib where I'm ba- my my hot, I'm not normally a hot take guy. Right? I'm not I'm not normally like hot take artist. Uh, you know, we James Rapine, you got us. You got H, HTJ's got that. <laughs> I don't want to take I take James, but I, I look at what's happening in Pittsburgh and what's happening here and what will happen here over the course of the next few months. And you project out. I, I think the Bengals. There's a good chance the Bengals could have a higher over under win total for Vegas next year than Pittsburgh. Yeah. First of all. There's a great story by Ed Bouchette mentioned at the top of the podcast about Ben Roethlisberger should retire because he, he, it's not about money for him. He's oh, first of all forty-one million dollars this year, though. Maybe he sticks around. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of money, and but it, it's about fin- he wanted to finish on top like that's and you see him on in tears on the sideline when they lose to the Browns. Marquise Pouncey comes over to him and says, basically, I only did this for you. And, and there's a lot of emotions there between those two because they know what's coming next. And Ed Bouchette lines it up. It, it, the, the, the time is now. The reckoning for the Steelers is upon us. I'm just going to read a, three graphs out of this. And I highly recommend you go read the whole thing. And really, all the coverage out of Pittsburgh right now uh, and looking at their offseason off is really interesting from a Bengals point of view because the fall from grace is here. I'll just read this. The Steelers are projected to be $21 million over the 2021 salary cap, according to OverTheCap.com, with only 35 players under contract. That's 18 short of a full roster, not counting practice squad players and those who will go on injury reserve. So not only must they find $21 million somewhere to get under the cap, they must find more to stock their roster. That pretty much eliminates them signing their own free agents or anyone else's. Among the free agents expected to leave are Juju Smith-Schuster, James Conner, Al Villanueva, Bud Dupree, Mike Hilton, Tyson Allo—I always mess that name up—Matt Filer, Cam Sutton, and Avery Williamson, Zach Banner, who won the starting job at right tackle and then left for good in the first game of the torn ACL, also can be a UFA. There's a chance, however, he could return on a one-year contract. Truxa Korafor is the only tackle under contract for 2021. Others may retire, be cut, or ask to take reductions in pay in order to stay. They include Marquise, Marquise Pouncey, Joe Hayden, Vance McDonald, Vince Williams, Steven Nelson, and maybe David DeCastro and Eric Ebron. They all won't leave just some candidates to be gone. They all won't return. That's like their whole – that's everyone. Like yeah. that's that's your key playmakers. When you have that kind of money tied up in just thirty five players, and including in, in other in other parts of the story mentions eight starters and more key reserves, that's almost half of your rotation. You're basically having to just let go, and you have a quarterback problem. Where Ben Ben is fine, but he can't scramble around like he used to. He just has to get the ball out quick. You saw what that did when defenses figured him out. The whole offseason is going to be full of bad news about the Steelers roster. And the whole offseason is going to be full of the Bengals gaining more momentum to rebuild their roster. They have space. They're going to come up with some sort of fix on the offensive line. Burrow's going to progress and continue to be healthy. They'll they'll add in free agency. They'll have a top five draft pick that will get in the mix. Momentum and excitement about the Bengals will, will rise. I think they both end up around the seven area. Six and a half, seven. When, when Vegas finally lands where they land in September. Yeah, I wonder there, though, like if you if you had a 538, if you were just do, basing it on data and, and what you thought 
the the win number should be. Yeah, I think the the Bengals might be ahead of the Steelers, but we know how Vegas works, and their their goal is to get the same amount of bets on either side of the number. And if you go if you go low, too low on the Steelers, Steelers have one of the biggest fan bases in the in the league, and I could see people just hammering that over. And it's the same thing with the Bengals. People outside of Cincinnati just see this as a the, a thirty year drought. They never win. They're never gonna win. And if you if you go too high on them, everybody's going to start hammering that under. So I think Vegas has to kind of play with that a little bit to, tr- to try to get money on both sides of it. But you're right. I, what, what were the Bengals last year? Five and a half? I, I, yeah, yeah, five and a half, six, depending on when you got it. I think six it. and a half, seven might be the number this year. Um, the Steelers, I don't, I don't know because of the reasons I laid out if Vegas can go that low. I could see Vegas coming in at at eight on them unless it is just a total gutting i mean it's gonna there's gonna be a, a huge overturn roster overturn there but i i still think they might put that number closer to eight the, the steelers might be a tad ahead of the bengals when those lines come out you're probably right i mean i think history and and mm-hmm. reputation and look tomlin's never had a losing record right i mean look the, it's pittsburgh they find a way right they they, they do seem to find a way but Ben Roethlisberger always seems to find a way. If if you've been at the end, or Ben retires, that is still in play. I mean, mm-hmm. Bouchette's saying he should. Yeah, you know, basically ends by saying, "Look, uh, he says he's going to go and talk about it with his family and those close to him." And and his point is, when he sits down and analyzes where the Steelers are about to go, he'll realize they're not going to end up on top. He's not going to go out on top here. That's not what this roster is going to be for the next couple of years. It's going to be a rebuild. They it can be nothing else, due to the pandemic, due to the lost, you know where they were with everything else that we just ran through. So he's saying when you when he real comes to that realization, the next realization should be it's time to walk away. Hmm. So then then they have a quarterback problem, <laughs> a big one, <laughs> and, and and then that changes the whole dynamic too. So on top of all your other issues. You then have Mason Rudolph and whatever wherever you're going next. So, um, look, it, Pittsburgh's in a bad way. On the other side, Ravens, Browns look built to last, um, and that will be where the Bengals will need to try to infiltrate at some point. Uh, let's get to some Twitter questions real quick. A couple Twitter questions, which kind of touches on draft stuff, and we'll get out of here. Uh, thanks to everybody that follows on Twitter. Reminder, uh, if you want to send something that you want to see in a mailbag or you want us to address here on the podcast – uh, just make sure you hit us up here on Twitter. Of course, you can hit me up at Paul Daner Jr. Or you can hit up Jay at Jay Morrison, A-T-H. No underscores or anything like that. Not just Jay Morrison. That's a realtor in L.A., a celebrity yeah. realtor. He, <laughs> he will not appreciate your Bengal questions. No. And uh, and shout out to my guy, I am Stan, who I like, who pointed out that he's just trying to wake up last week and have a nice day and listen to the podcast. And he 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 turns it on to underscore slander from <laughs> I underscore am underscore Stan. And look, I got love. He's 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 uh he's an Everton fan. I, I take it all back. I'm sorry that I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you spit your coffee out. Uh and we've got a couple of questions here. Um so if you ever want send send us uh you know, tweets there if you want something in a mailbag or us to address it here on the podcast. And we're always ready to do that. So this one from Scott Smith. If Sewell goes top four, uh, Penny Sewell goes top four, will the Bengals trade down in the draft? 
So if he does, I mean, I think there's an assumption now that two to three quarterbacks are probably going to go in the top five uh, with Justin Fields, Zach Wilson uh, kind of in that mix along with the obvious Trevor Lawrence to Jacksonville. Um, I think that's in play. I think a lot of it's going to depend on if anybody wants to come up and if people are going to want to come up, it's going to be for a quarterback. So what's there, right? The interesting thing about the way things set up here is, you know, Behind them, you have these four teams that will have interest in a quarterback. Philly, Detroit, Carolina, and Denver. Yeah. If you if you're Trey, if Carolina wants to come up and get in front of Philly and maybe even Detroit, particularly in front of Philly, who's gonna have now a new head coach? Although I guess now maybe they're gonna be dedicated to Carson Wentz. Maybe they're not gonna be his quarterback needy. <laughs> but still, it's an option there. They're gonna. They would want maybe want to come up to Cincinnati, and you could add their second rounder. So you could add, you know, some 39, 40, 41, whatever, depending. Potentially, you could add their second rounder and move back, and still add, you know, a, a really good player there at eight, nine, something like that. That makes sense to me. It's will somebody be willing to come up and do that? And I think the Bengals would be interested. They need more, not less. And you know, there's a lot of guys that will be there at eight or nine. That's that there's not much difference between what they would get at five. So, yeah, I think they would be interested. The question is, is there a quarterback that's going to be there? Someone's going to want to come up and make that deal. Yeah, and the, the, I think they definitely are interested. My, the question is not would they would they do it, is is how far would they be willing to go back? Um, I, I don't think they would go outside of the top ten. You never know, though. The other, the other thing is what happens in free agency. What what if they sign oh, yeah. a starting tackle and a starting guard and maybe Panesul is there at five? I I still think that a trade back would still be on the the table if that was the case. Yeah, I I mean you could definitely see that. I I think you know, and we'll spend a lot of time talking about. And I had to ask Joe Burrow about his connection with Jamar Chase and what made that so good because I mean that's going to be a real factor here. That is going to be a real factor. At number five, is is reuniting that element. Did we not just hear Joe Burrow talk about it? he needs to improve the deep ball, like <laughs> for a week? And one of the best deep ball connections we've ever seen was Burrow to Chase at LSU. I mean, I think there's a thought that they won't miss another deep ball if if they make that addition. Uh, and so the idea of adding that element, and if you did go out in free agency, I'm just saying, like. That is going to be very tempting for a team that needs playmakers. And maybe wide receiver is not one of those positions that makes a lot of sense at the top of a draft when you when you consider where all the best wide receivers are coming from. Look, I mean, look at all the top receivers, second, third round, mid, late first, whatever. I mean, you got T. Higgins at 33, you know, this, across the league. And a deep free agent class where you'll have added a, you know, whether it's a Josh Reynolds or somebody in that bargain side that can be a totally a solid three. The idea of using your number five on another receiver, you know, it doesn't necessarily fit. But if that's your playmaker, if that's your best chance to be a true playmaker, then it does make sense for this team. It does make sense because that's what they need at five more than anything is a playmaker. But if you move back, there's still going to be, you know, Look, a Slater from Northwestern, the tackle, who has versatility to play guard and tackle. Think about that. I mean, that could be in the mix too, where now you're 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 really getting it going. You're really dedicating 
capital to the offensive line. That is investing big time and maybe adding a second-round pick. All that stuff, I think they'll be interested. It's going to be, is there a quarterback that slides and sits there at five that one of those eight or nine, Denver, Carolina, somebody in that area, is like like that guy, got to get in front of Detroit or Philly and willing to give up a second-round pick to do it? That's going to be the question of the tradeback. And I think there will be a quarterback. There's there's no way there it goes quarterback, 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 quarterback. Right. It's Devontae Smith, Panay Sewell, Jamar Chase. One of those three is going to go in the top five. Um, So there will be a a fourth of the of the top four quarterbacks. One of them is going to be still sitting there at five. The Bengals will have that option. Yeah, we shall see how that plays out. A lot of just a little bit of time between now and that. <laughs> uh, we'll continue in that line though. Timothy Hill asks, um, "Are you sold on Pratt as the answer at linebacker? Why is Parsons, Michael Parsons from Penn State, not being talked about as a potential leader of the defense in the mold of Burfick, uh, did Akeem Davis, Gaither, and Wilson, Logan Wilson draft picks quench everyone's thirst for Bush before the Steelers trade up? Uh, yeah, linebacker is interesting, um, and I think Michael Parsons." This is going to be a great player, um, and a top ten linebacker is. It's kind of like we get into these same areas with Kyle Pitts and Micah Parsons for me, and to a lesser degree Jamar Chase. And, and look, playmaker, absolutely right. This team needs pass rushers and cover guys, <laughs> and so if they're going to go defense, and I don't have a press, I have a problem with that. If they're going to go defense, I'm much more interested in corner. You know. I'm much more interested in an edge. Now, granted, is there somebody worth it at five? Well, if we're talking about a trade back or whatever, I just, I'm not as interested in linebacker. I do think that you're a little more set there on defense with the development of Wilson, Pratt, Davis Gaither. I think you're willing to bet on their development a little more than really nothing. That You have nothing, really, at, at edge rusher or corner, top corner. That compared to what you could get in in the top ten, yeah, I mean the specific answer to the question, no, I am not sold on Jermaine Pratt, but I'm also not sold that he's not the answer. It, it's just it's he's still kind of, I mean, two years in, probably not where you would like him to be, but we have seen flashes at time. Um, I I don't know that that they're ready to to throw it in there and 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 go for a position like line, linebacker that isn't a priority. You said it. Pass cover guys and rut edge rushers. Especially we, we got to wait and see what happens with Carl Lawson and William Jackson. Either one of those areas could be even more important than it looks right now. Um I I just don't know that anywhere are there linebackers that are that big of impact guys. And it goes back to the discussion we had earlier in the in the podcast that it's 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 all about offense right now. Um, that's where you that's where the focus needs to be. If you get everything you need on on that side of the ball, and you're you're tempted to go defense in, in with that number five pick or wherever you end up picking in the first round, it, it can't be a linebacker. And, and historically, it has not been. The, I mean, they they wait till the third round. Um, that that's just the way this this organization operates. Um, I, I, I agree with you. I think Micah Parsons is going to be a great player. I wish he would have stayed at Ohio state instead of going to Penn state, (laughs) (laughs) but yes, uh, I just, I, I don't, it just seems like too much of a gamble at this point. I I can't see them doing that. Yeah. 
yeah, to me, if if it's defense, I I think you know you're probably looking at Farley or Sertan or something like that in a, in a move back situation or whatever. So, um, most likely. All right. Um, anyway, I appreciate everybody. Remember, you can send in questions if you have them, um, and we'll get get to them every week. Because we'll we'll be back here next Tuesday. We'll, we, again, we're going to continue. We're still we end up spending a lot of time with Burrow and the offensive line, still kind of sifting through a lot of the aftermath and fallout of this season. Um, but that's pretty much we've pretty much tied a bow around most of that at this point. I mean, everything's kind of set, so we will start diving a little bit more into the roster here as we get forward. T- trust us, plenty of time. <laughs> plenty of podcast minutes to fill uh, as we go forward. So we'll be we'll be getting to that soon. A little bit more into the roster as we go forward. So, all right, it's a lot, but look, we're we're here for you. We're packing it all in for you. So anyway, thanks everybody for listening, and we will talk to you next time on Hear That Podcast. Right?